Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1978. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! As we close in on the end of 2021, I think for many of us, it couldn't have gotten by faster for us. Let's all hope that 2022 will be much, much better. Today, I'm in beautiful Buck Hill Falls in Pennsylvania with a very special guest by the name of Peter Meyer. Peter, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? We're ready to rock and roll, Mark. We're ready. We're going to have some fun here. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we talk about the incredibly beautiful artwork you create, what's one little thing that, Peter, most people may not know about you? Oh, God, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Terry said you might throw that at me. Yep. You know, there's so much, but there's so little, too, because... My name's synonymous with the super realism, so I don't even know if I can answer that question for you. (laughs) Well, the way I sometimes ask people, is there something maybe that you like to do as a hobby outside of your your work there in the studio? Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, I I got into bass fishing. I bought a a really kind of expensive Ranger bass boat. Terry and I go out. We got a lake about a half hour from here, Wall Paul Pack. Uh-huh. And that's probably the only place I relax. Ah. We go up early in the morning. We watch the deer come to the shore sometimes. We watch the eagles fly, yep. uh, the egrets, um, the blue herons. And nice. it's, that keeps me relaxed. And I just ordered um, uh, a huge uh 40 series Kubota excavator. Oh, I like I like to play in the dirt down in my property. <laughs> have another property. So my wife said, "What do you need a eighty five thousand dollar excavator?" I said, "To have fun." <laughs> so <laughs> they don't know about that about me. <laughs> Moving some dirt around. Well, there's nothing like getting out in nature to refresh the the lungs and the mind and the brain yeah. and get those creative juices flowing. So we're going to get going on this show here, but that sounds like fun and playing with excavators, moving dirt around. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I like it. Very cool. Well, Peter Meyer is an automobile designer, industrial designer, and fine artist. After seeing his work at the New York World's Fair, the vice president of General Motors Corporation, a guy named Bill Mitchell, who those of history know that name very well, hired Peter prior to his junior year. His career was interrupted for a brief period in 1967 through 60 when he served as a military police officer in Vietnam. Thank you for your service. Upon his return, he went on to enjoy a distinguished career as an automobile designer, being the youngest ever to be hired by GM. He rose the ranks and became a senior designer for Cadillac, Pontiac, and Chevrolet Motor Divisions, thereby becoming part of a very elite group. He left the security of this position, though, in 1980, and although approached by many other major design firms, he embarked on a journey to pursue his personal passion as a fine artist on his own. And he's been painting and selling privately since 1980. Without any gallery representation, he has sold well over 400 major works. And when you go to his website, which I'll put a link on the show notes page, you will be blown away. I guarantee it. We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about Peter. But first, a word from our valued sponsor. So give him a little love and we'll be right back. 
Covercraft's newest five-layer indoor cover is especially engineered for indoor use, providing maximum dust protection when your vehicle's stored in the garage. Your five-layer indoor cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form, and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Even if your vehicle is always inside, dust and fallout can damage the paint, and an extra layer of soft, breathable material protects from accidental bumps and rubs. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover, custom fit to fit the car like a glove. And I have a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Simply use the code YEAH, Y-E-A-H-2-1 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company, and I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework, I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one online collector car insurance provider, according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So, Peter, we are back. So I would love for you to walk through a bit of your history uh, as a car designer first, because you had a very great career there. But then you took a very bold move and said, you know what, I'm going to go do something kind of different and be on my own. And I commend you for that, for that bravery. But let's walk through your uh, history first as a car designer, because you were a young guy when they picked you off. Yeah, I was 19. Before they hired me full-time, I was in a summer program. Bill hired me for that, too. And that's a three-month stint, you know, summertime. And they pay you, and that's where they kind of judge. They had, like, eight different colleges. They hired from Art Center, Pratt, Cleveland Institute of Art, Notre Dame also. And uh, halfway through that program, Jordan and Mitchell came down, first, second in command, and said, hey, we really like your work. Do you like it here? I said, yeah, I, I kind of like this. It's better than being a machinist with my dad. My dad was a precision machinist from Germany. Mm, wow. But, uh, you know, I had art in my body. That's the way it worked. Yeah. I was born with a talent. I'm very fortunate. I was born with a talent. So they said, well, we're, we'd like to offer you a job full time. Nice. So I had a job before, you know, graduation and uh, Ford and 
you had to go in. You had to go to the interviews. You know, they, that's the way the, the dean of the industrial design department uh, did it. So Ford, Chrysler, a bunch of them came, and they all offered me a job as well. GM knew it, but GM paid more, and my heart was with GM, and I liked Bill, and that's how it happened. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Where'd you go to college? Pratt Institute in good old Brooklyn, where I'm from. There you, you know? go. I love it. Well, as we fast forward through your career, because I really want to focus on what you're doing now, I'll tell the listeners, these are some of the, the descriptions I've heard about Peter here. Innovator, realism redefined, impossibly real, student of art, corporate leader, automotive designer, fine art master, artistic outlaw, innovator, master realist, craftsman for the ages. <laughs> unsurpassed work ethic, realism redefined. When I found you, Peter, I had to keep looking at what you're doing, going, wait a minute, is this guy a photographer? Wait, what? And then I looked at the scale. So when did you realize it was time to leave GM and then go out on your own into a very challenging world of trying to make a living and being an artist? And and how did that process work for you as you started to build your career and your customer base? Well, let me backtrack just a bit. At Pratt, I was assistant to Bob Mallory, Robert Mallory. He had his, he, he was in the junk sculpture movement, and uh, he had works in the Museum of Modern Art, the Metropolitan, all the big museums. Mm-hmm. And they hired me as his assistant. Uh, they picked what they thought was the most promising three-dimensional design student at Pratt in the industrial design department, and I, I won. I didn't know what it was all about. But Bob paid me ten grand for the summer, and that was a lot of money. That was a lot of money back then, yeah. Bought a brand-new 63 Le Mans, <laughs> and here I am, one of the youngest kids on the soccer team, you know, and I got my own car. Nice. And I, so I always had a love for art. I met Warhol, Rick uh, Rauschenberg, Lichtenstein. What? Wow. Willem de Kooning. Yeah, because Bob was in that circle, and he had a beautiful loft on Broom Street in what would become Soho in 1969. That oh became gosh. famous. We were, we were in the heart of it. And um, these guys said, take the job when I... I went in, and on a Saturday, I think Warhol and all of them, they said, Pete, take the job. We're still struggling. You're too young yet to make it in the art world. And Warhol at that time was 30. Bob was 45. So I'm, I'm 18, 19. Yeah. And uh, they said, Pete, that's a hell of a job to get. So I took it. But I always, uh, after I came back from Vietnam, General Motors had changed. All right. I was there for a year. Then I got drafted. I went over there, came back in 69. And... Uh, I, I don't know. There was something different, but I, I, you know, I just stayed. Jan and I got married, and I said, well, we're going to hold this out for a little while. So that was 69. Eleven years later, you got 80, and I, and I told them I was going to leave. They knew I was going to leave in 77 when I was in Cadillac. Mm-hmm. They kind of, they knew, because they said, we got big plans for you. You're third at the top of Cadillac. But, you know, I said, well, don't make too many plans, guys. Okay. And I started, do, I started doing outdoor art shows, and they, they saw what I was doing. And I, I couldn't get, um, they stopped the absence, the leave of absence thing. So what they did, Mitchell and Jordan, they sat down with the bean counters, and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do with Pete. He's been here 11 years, plus the two years in Vietnam. We're going to give him all his vacation days, which I had five weeks, and they're going to give me the whole Christmas off because I told them, um, I, I'm thinking about leaving, guys. So they said, okay, this was like three days, probably like today, yeah, okay? Yeah. Three days, two, three days before Christmas. And, you know, we used to get a week and a half off pay. So they said, we're going to give you that. We're going to give you the three sick days a month that you never took. I said, oh, really? I didn't know that. He says, well, <laughs> you're getting them now. Yeah. And we're going to give you all five weeks plus 
all the holidays. So I had like two and a half months off. Wow. And they said, see what you like. If mm-hmm. you're going to do it, there's your chance. If not, you, you don't get vacation this year. I said, fair enough. Shook hands. I came back. In that time, Jerry Hirschberg, who became vice president of Nissan, he was, he was head of Buick. And he asked myself, Tom Semple, and Alan Flowers, three of us designers, to go with him to Nissan. And I said, no, Jerry. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my fine art passion. GM uh, GM and the big boys caught wind of that. But when I left, and they left the week after I did, I wasn't gonna get caught in that damn mess. They allowed me to stay in the building for the whole day to say goodbye to everybody. When they left a week later, they were escorted to the door, took Ooh. their cars away, and said goodbye. You you jump you're jumping ship. General yeah. Motors did not like that. No. So I always. I always had a good rapport with all the car companies. I can still go into the building, no problem. I have friends at Ford, I have friends at Chrysler. But I saw that the writing on the wall, things were not going well for the automobile companies and GM. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you know what? This is a perfect time for me to make my break. And I was a pretty good, de- one of the top designers, according to them. And um, I could draw real well. Anything. Most of the guys who become car designers and not to take anything away from them, they're not really art artists. They're more of an illustrator type guys, even the tops, okay? And um, now a lot of them who I worked with, they follow my career. They're retired now. I'm, I'm still working. I'm 76. So <laughs> bottom line is I said, I'm going to take a chance here. And it was a calculated chance because I did outdoor art shows for a year. That was the first outdoor art show guy ever to sell a painting on a boardwalk for a thousand dollars wow i said whoa here we go yeah this is good yeah and uh i said this is the start and then i went the gallery scene and i had a lot of connections in michigan rich people they supported my art so basically um i learned what i learned being a car designer and being a fine artist prior to that with mallory we worked on a large scale the mm. sculpture we did for the World's Fair was 20 by 20 feet, weighed four tons. Uh, the cars, we draw in little sketches, but then we go life-size, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can do a life-size drawing quicker than a guy can probably do a sketch. Wow. So working as a car designer and working with some of the elite who were older than me at the time, I picked up all of this stuff. Yeah. And I've transformed that into my art. I've also liked to work with experimental products which Mallory did. We worked with polyester resins. We worked with all kinds of crazy chemical stuff, which got us a little sick, and I got sick too. But I was the first one to take actual uh, waterborne automotive paint made by DuPont. Three years before it came out, they gave it to me. Wow. As long as we, we shook hands. I had no lawyers involved. They didn't have any either. I was the first person in the history of DuPont to get an experimental uh, uh, product uh, that... I'm I'm not a Duponter. I mean, yeah. it's the first time anybody outside. So they gave me today, and now about three four years ago, they sold their paint division to Exalta Coatings, and many of the same people went with Exalta. Uh, since between Dupont 1993, when they gave me the paint before it even came out in California, um, and mine's a specialized paint. Mine's mine's hand mixed. Bottom line is, I bet. Close to $350,000 worth of paint I have here. I could Holy open five God. body shops. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned some incredible names that you worked with, and I always like to ask my guests for what I call a driving inspiration, a, a very influential person in your life that was a mentor, if you will, or someone that was a big 
help looking back to get you where you are today? Is there a, a name that stands out? I mean, the people you hung out with back in the early yeah. days of the beginning of Soho, yeah. holy cow. But yeah, who would yeah. that be? You know, uh, my dad always was a, a good influence, which which always helped. And he, he wanted, and my mom, they were a little afraid of me being an artist because, you know, you don't make any money. Well, we've changed that around a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. big we, bit. We're doing pretty well. I would say two guys at Pratt in my freshman year. They opened my eyes what's doable in the art world and how to do it. One was Max Spivak. He was a World War II vet. He did all the mosaics at the Grand Central Station, and he taught two-dimensional drawing and whatever, and I, I, I excelled in the freshman year out of anybody. And when Max graded you, it's very strange. He said, let me show you how I grade. And the girls thought, they, they blew apart. He said, okay, you're going to take this, these cubes and this cylinder and this sphere, and you're going to put one light on it at a 45, and I want you to do it in, in pencil. I came back, and my I mean, mind was just pretty nice. And he had him up on the wall, and this is the first grading. And you had a week to do this. Mm-hmm. Here's your thumbtacks. Put them up on the corkboard, and it's 30, 30, 30, 35 kids in a class, uh, about five girls, something like that. And Eric Max says, okay, Many of you are not going to like the way I grade. <laughs> uh, like as you'll, you'll realize as we go along, he starts ripping them off the wall Ooh. and throwing them on the floor. Oh, and there's ouch. only three, there's there's only three left. Wow. Mine, Vince Mastrocco, and Jim Petrillo. And we always had it. And I'm going to tell you how these these three are all going to get a 4.0. That's an A. But one of them is an A plus. The other one's an A, and the other one's an A minus. Now I'm going to tell you why. And his favorite word was nuance. Now, look what this guy Meyer did. Look at the nuances in here. I knew what he was talking about, but I'm young. You know, I'm 17 at this point. And uh, and that's how it happened. So he was one of the influenced me. And then I I made big drawings, and he he just freaked out of that. He kind of took me under his wing. And the other was Bob Mallory. He was the three-dimensional teacher in my freshman. So that freshman year, I would say those are the two kicked off my career to what it became. Wow. Well, those tough teachers, <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal at the time, but they, they set you straight and you start to realize my son attended uh, RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. There you go. Okay. As an industrial designer. And yeah, he talked about some of the professors and the way they did that. And yeah, he said, you'd have some tears in the room. Some of the people like, I work so hard. Oh, on that, yeah. You know? Yeah. But well, you uh, know what Max, Max, Max told the kids when they some girls started crying he says listen i'd rather have you cry now than go home and explain to your mother why you got constant f's and you're wasting their money uh-huh. i don't want any <laughs> of you people to waste your parents money because right. art schools you know you it's your brutal. kid with to it's expensive uh, no kidding <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i was accepted to RISD, cooper union pratt a bunch of them but i went to pratt because it was close I also got a soccer scholarship. I made small nice. college all all American, and I could drive to school. Didn't have to have a, a apartment. My parents didn't have that much money. That's why I went to Pratt. But Pratt was also more uh, arts, not not so much um, a design school. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the art part too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So your work, when when you listeners go to Peter's website and look at what he does, uh, you do a lot of automotive. That's what caught my eye because we're at Cars Yeah here, obviously, and your background in the automotive sector. But you also delve into a lot of other things. And your work being very, how would you describe as super realism, hyper realism? What are the words you would use for your painting? Most of the museum directors 
the new ones, they don't like to use all the isms. You know, mm-hmm. they just they say, I'm just a master realist. Master realist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I don't go into the isms. I'm with a gallery in New York that's the top photorealist gallery. But, you know, that's a, that's a, that, that's a gone movement. You know, photorealism was late 60s, mid-70s through maybe part of the 80s. But I've developed my own process, and that's what makes my painting so different. I paint on aluminum, and I use this automotive paint. And Believe it or not, Mark, here's the crazy part. I've got all this paint, and I've got all 54 color samples, okay? Wow. Bottom line is I only use eight colors. Really? (laughs) Eight colors. I can send you. I'll send you some stuff. And no colors are pre-mixed. This is the kicker. No color is ever pre-mixed. I'll take, um, let's say I want to make a a green. Mm -hmm. I'll spray different tones of a yellow, different thicknesses, okay? Uh, And I mix my paint really thin. Like if you took a tea bag into hot water and dipped it 10 times, that's the consistency of my paint and the the medium. It's not thick like you would, yeah. Okay, so let's say I'm spraying a yellow and I want to make an out-of-focus background. I'll I'll spray it in circles. I'll do this or I'll paint it with a brush real thin. And then I'll put blue over that. Thin shades of blue. And all of a sudden, you've got instant green. See? Yeah, okay. So I, on, on, a, on this, this Stingray painting, that's got well over 100 layers of eight different colors over the silver flake. That's what makes it look so deep and real. And then when I put the final clear coat on, it's like looking at a motorcycle gas tank. It, it has that illusion of depth. Oh, that, my you know, gosh. So like that, okay. That's what mine looked like. Now, you can't see that in photographic form. You have to be in front of an original to get that. Right. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, you know, trick here. you know what comes to mind? I have a Porsche that my listeners know. I call it my orange crush, affectionately. Mm-hmm. And it and it's, was painted at the factory in part of their paint-to-sample program. It was not a Porsche color at the time. It was special order. Okay. But it's a six-stage pearl metallic. And I know what it is. Yeah. yeah. When you look at the car, it looks like metallic orange, but as the light flows across it, it goes yeah. yellow, it goes green, it goes gold. And if you open yep. the in the uh, trunk or frunk, they call it on Porsches, and you pull the carpet out, you'll see all those different colors laid down because they didn't do the inside of the trunk like they did the outside of the car. But mm-hmm. your your work has that very depth. So now I see how you're doing that. Hey, what, I, what I took is I took automotive paint technology mm-hmm. and applied it to fine art. Wow. Okay. You've, the, early, the early cave painting at Le Coe and all of that uh, in France and whatever, they were actually done with the world's first airbrush. This is true. <laughs> the mouth. <laughs> they, they took a reed, hollowed a reed, a hollow reed, mixed their saliva with uh, red ochre or lamp black from their fires mm-hmm. and saliva and sprayed that through. That Those are not done with a brush or they're, they're done with their hands and with what will be the worst, world's first <laughs> air gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Gun. So I've just, uh, I paint with brushes and everything, but it's probably half and half, half brush work, half uh, airbrush. But I've taken airbrush to a different level and I've applied automotive paint technology to fine art. That's all I've done. All you've done. Yeah. Well, I I, I love it. And uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Let's talk a bit about a challenge along the way. Now, going out on your own is a big challenge, but that seems to be an obstacle that you overcame. Uh, Was there something else along the way in your career path? It could be back at GM or it could be as you went on your own that was a big challenge, but you found a way around it and maybe some failures or challenges in that scope uh, were learning lessons that were really valuable to you? Yeah, most of them 
uh, mostly they, they were little problems. My biggest, my biggest thing in life was the Vietnam thing. That, that mm. I, I don't have PTSD and all of that crap like my friends, a lot of my friends mm-hmm. do. But uh, you know, it, that opened my eyes. Yeah. That was a uh, you know, I saw how quick life could go. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it, it's crazy. It affect, affects people like crazy. You have to, you have to be there. And yeah. you know, when we came back, the bad part about right now, Terry's standing right here next to me, sitting right next to me. I I always wear my Vietnam veteran hat because I get ten percent off at Home Depot, Lowe's, and everything. Okay, <laughs> but. I decided to wear it about five, six years ago. My wife bought all these hats for me, and I have Vietnam license plates. I got three speeding tickets that would be over $500. I was going 95 with my huge 60-foot trailer on I-95 in Stewart, Florida, and Uh-oh. a guy pulls me over. And yes, sir, yes, sir. And I, didn't, I forgot. It was the first week I was wearing my hat. And he, he didn't give me a ticket. Mm. And he said, Listen, just take it easy. And I said, well, I was an MP in Vietnam. And he said, oh, really? And he knew I was in Vietnam. So it saved me three times. But, you know, that experience opened my eyes. And when we came back, you know, they spit at us. They called us frickin' baby killers. We didn't, you know, we just got drafted, put in a war. Damn it, what's the matter with you people? But now they salute me. Terry can tell you. Absolutely. I, I can go to Lowe's and five people will come up. Thanks for your service. So the pendulum has shifted. But uh, thank goodness. that's probably was a big challenge to get out of that damn war and start all over again. Well, no kidding. My father-in-law was a 33-year Marine, served over in There Vietnam. you go. He would know. Served in Vietnam three times. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, okay. it was a not a good experience. But no. uh, obviously there were some things you took away from that that strengthened you. In many oh, ways. Yeah. 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 For sure. And and personally, today here, Peter, I want to thank you for your service. That oh, thanks. Yeah, was a thank tough you. thing, to tough place to send a young kid off into the world. But uh, no doubt it was part of forming your life. Now, you've mentioned the name Terry a couple times. Can we tell our listeners who Terry is? Because then go, wait, he, Terry, said, he Terry, said he Terry, was Terry. married, but who's this Terry person? <laughs> Terry is Terry Munson, and uh, he's the son of uh, Joe Munson, who was in Vietnam. And uh, Terry's been all over the world, and he married a... Uh, a Moroccan girl. He doesn't like to talk about himself, so he's going here. Why are you doing this? I, Mark asked me. That's why. Well, well, he works. So I, he works in your studio there and helps you, right? Oh, uh, he he yeah. does all of. He don't like to hear this. He, he, he he's very. He doesn't like to talk about himself. That's yeah. the way Terry is. Yeah. Well, he's been a great a great help and a liaison between you and I, getting you on the uh, show. He's first class. He does all the video. He does that. He does all my computer work. I don't nice. know damn thing about that stuff. You know. That's how I met him. I, I met him when he was eight years old. He would come to the driver. He's the only kid at Buck Hill who would come up and say, Good morning, Mr. Mario. How are you? The rest of them could care who the hell you are. Most of them are little rich kids, you know? So, but, but he's worked for me now for over a year, and uh, we're rocking and rolling. We're doing some cool stuff, and we yeah. hope 2022 is going to really open the floodgates. Well, that's a nice segue there, my friend, and that was I was going to ask you about your future, your bucket list. What are some things that you're looking ahead to in your artwork uh, to accomplish and, and maybe even change things up a little bit? Look forward well for your listeners who love cars because that's what your thing's all about or basically primarily about uh, i did a three-wheeler when we were we were at uh freshmen when general Motors hired me for real now you got about eight to ten other freshmen in there from different schools Mm -hmm. different art schools and the first assignment was given to me all of us to do a three-wheel vehicle they don't care how you did it, what engines you use, wheels front, back, sideways, upside down. Just 
do it with. Well, mine won from the sketch. Then we went on to build a full-size model. Wow. And Bill Mitchell and Chuck Jordan and the tech center people went nuts over my car. And that was done in 66. You can view it on my uh Oh, on my I, yeah, I've website. seen it. Yeah, it's wild looking. Yeah. looks like very futuristic. It's considered one of the, uh, you know, most advanced three-wheelers ever done. And that was done in 1966. Wow. So I've been doing um, sketches, big sketches, like 30 by 50 and renderings. 50 by 80. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Rob Ida, but he, you should you should interview Rob. He's been he's been a guest on my show. All right. Well, we talked yesterday. Rob's been after me for years to build this damn thing. Oh, really? And, cool. Yeah, well, we we're going to do something here. We got some pretty good concepts, but I told him we're going to start with the original cuz you know, the patent's over with. That was done in 66, so GM says go for it. Bottom line is I use a word like when we did the Seville, I just took a Rolls Royce, and Wayne Cady was the chief then. But it's like a, a, a derivation of the uh, Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. you know, the 1930s, and you know, with the bustle back, you know, the squared yeah, off yeah, back yeah. and everything. Yeah. And uh, we just put that sideline on it, that sweep, and we we I call it we contemporized it. <laughs> so I took my three wheeler and updated to what I think it should be now, which is pretty cool, and I've got. What, I got five renderings or four? Yeah. Yeah, and about 40 sketches. Wow. We're working with a guy named Paul Cameron in London. He does the CAD cam stuff and all of that. And Rob is probably going to build it, and we're also going to offer it in beautifully constructed models. Wow, like nice. Facebook models, the real model, under Plexi. And we talked about that. So that's where we're going in 2022. And if any of your listeners want to take a look at this thing, um, it's always got great reviews. I've never had a bad one on this car. And the new ones that I drew, which we're not releasing yet, they're pretty wild-looking damn things. And, you know, very they almost look Bonneville soft flattish. Yes, okay? yeah, yeah. They're stunning. And Rob was a guest a while ago, many years ago. He's, he's okay. fabricated some amazing vehicles, of course, the Tucker uh, that he produced. So uh, I can't wait to see that. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question. That is yeah. very, very cool. Well, let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. Maybe we just did. I'd like to ask my guests about one vehicle that really stands out for them, something that was uh, part of their life, and share a story about that ride. Well, that one it probably stands out the most because, you know, General Motors really had nothing to do with it. That was all me. That was not a committee, designed by committee car. The other one, the platform is very important here, and that would be your e-bodies for, we released them all in 1977 for 80 production. That's what it used to take, three years, okay? So I would say to Seville, Eldorado, one, the Eldorado was a, a coupe, two-door. Seville was a sedan, four-door. Same chassis, same hood, same upper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sail panels were different a little bit. Uh, the windshield were the same. Bumpers were the same, except for the caps on the Eldorado. Uh, and inner panels were the same. So you got four vehicles with the same damn overall length, the same uh, panels that I just told you, plus the glass sharing on a, on a, on a chassis. The difference between the Seville... And the Eldorado, one's a four-door, one's a two-door, but they're both the exact same length with the same windshield. And when we took the models out to Ride Road, they called it Ride Road, we, we could get about a length of a football field away from them and see what they looked like. Every one of them looked different, but the Seville stood out. Mm-hmm. And it looked, uh, looked at least 18 inches longer than the Eldorado, and it wasn't. It was the same damn length. So that platform and doing... I did. I worked on a with a team, of course, mm-hmm. not just me. Like I said, Wayne Katie was the chief, and there were three other designers in there. And uh, 
I was a senior. It just came together beautifully, and uh, it, it was a coup d'etat in the automobile business because that was never done before. You know, if you did a four-door and you did a two-door, they were always a different kind of link. Right. You know? I'll tell you something interesting, Peter. My dad was always into a more European sports car type cars and things. And I think it was about maybe five, six years after that car came out, all of a sudden he showed up in one one day. And I said, whose is this? And he goes, well, I bought this. And I said, what? Why? And he goes, I don't know. There's something about this. And he, my dad was an architect, an artist, and had an yeah. eye for aesthetics. And he goes, I don't know. There's something about this car. And I was in shock. I'm like, dad's driving a Cadillac? Because <laughs> my, mm-hmm. my father-in-law who served in Vietnam, Cadillac was always his car. He always had a Cadillac. Mm-hmm. He was in his mm-hmm. entire life. Always a Cadillac in the garage. But I was really shocked. But there's a testament to that incredible design and what you guys did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wonderful series of cars, I thought, too. I, I thought they were pretty cool, and I'm not even a, a guy who's into U.S. cars. I've always driven European sports cars, so uh, I can see why. It'll go, it'll go down as a classic eventually. You know, uh, Pete Estes, who was the president of GM, he kept coming in the studio and tapping on the back. Kid, you're never going to sell this muscle back thing to a, it's a bustle back. He used to call it muscle back to Cadillac <laughs> people. And we just kept going and going. Well... The first quarter reports came out after production, you know, the quarterly reports, and it skyrocketed in sales. He says, I told you this thing was going to do good. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can understand it. <laughs> yeah, you know how that works. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, 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 it was, that car was either liked or hated, okay? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it, it's a bit of a polarizing vehicle, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so, Pete, yeah. I'm going to be your car psychologist today. This could be an interesting place or a scary place. I'm going to crawl into your head, okay? It, yeah, go ahead. If you, were a, if you were manifest as a vehicle, now this isn't what you want to be. This is the man you see in the mirror manifest as a vehicle. What would Peter be, but more importantly, why? You know, I'm really into trucks. <laughs> Oh, okay. I don't have any cars, and I'm not a truck designer because, you know, it's more apropos for my business. I got these huge paintings. I got a trailer around. Right. And um, I really like the three-wheeler, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a unique vehicle. I think it'll turn heads. But I'll be honest with you, my favorite vehicles are... Farm, farm equipment, excavators, <laughs> and stuff like that. I just have a ball. Here's why, yeah. here's why I think this is, Peter, as you relate to this, is because you're a guy that has to get things done. And that's what these vehicles, trucks, excavators, they just get work done. You got it. You know, and that's, I mean, I mentioned this when I first introduced you in that uh, list of adjectives I described for you. And one was unsurpassed work ethic. Did that really come yeah. from art school and from working at GM? I mean, you had to get things done. You couldn't just mess around. That part of it came from my dad being yeah. a German, German. You know, precision uh, machinist. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, you got a. He didn't beat me over the head, but we had to produce, okay? Yeah. And General Motors. You know, this is not a game. You got to meet a deadline. Where many of my artist friends, the biggest, the biggest problem, most of my artist friends who don't make it, the so-called starving artists, and mm-hmm. they're good friends of mine. At the end of the year, if I do, let's say I do everything the size of the Stingray or the big life-size Clydesdale. I'll maybe do two or three of those a year. That's all. But I'll usually do four to five to six paintings a year. They start one. And like, like anybody else, I, I equate it to the long distance runners. They run the marathons, 26 miles, whatever it is, 23 miles. And you know, all of them, they reach a point where their legs start burning like crazy. Mm-hmm. There's one interview years ago with one of the top runners. And he said, how do you get through that? And he says, I just put my mind to it. And I turn up the speed, and I run through the pain. Yeah. And as soon as that yeah. pain's gone, he runs like a jackrabbit, you know? Well, 
everybody. I get a painting and I'm halfway through one or a third of a way. And I said, what a damn mess this is. And I, I don't work very um, precise. Mine are very loose. Mm. Again, Terry can tell you, I got paint all over my pants, paint's <laughs> flying. Only at the end does it come together and, and turn into what looks like a photograph, super real. But it's still loosely done. You can look at my videos on the on my site and you'll see how loose I work. Oh, yeah. So the bottom line is, you know, where was I going with this? What was the question? <laughs> well, we were talking about work ethic and how you yeah, just okay. have to get so things done. That's it. You got to produce. Yeah. So I'm over here 20, 24 7. Oh, yeah. yeah, every day. We're over here. Sometimes we we'll just clean up the studio. But this is my man cave or whatever the hell you call it. And uh, <laughs> I've always been like that. I, I work. I produce. Uh, and, yeah, partially from my pop and the rest from General Motors. Well, yeah. you know, you remind me of my dad, Peter, because uh, he, like I said, was an architect, but also an artist, a painter, a sculptor. And uh, yeah. up until his last day, he was always working. And he grew up in Texas on a farm where the mm -hmm. work never ends. My grandfather very rarely came to visit us in California. And one of the times he drove all the way there. And then three days later, he said, okay, I got to go home. And I said, well, Grandpa, yeah. Grandpa, you just got here. And he said, Mark, the cows don't take vacations. No, they don't. No, yeah. no. I got to oh, get yeah. back. I got to get back to work. You know, and he was in his well, probably seventies at the time. You know, so the other thing is, I like what I do. There you go. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I like to make money. Well, of course. <laughs> well, you, you've discovered the secret sauce to life. You enjoy something, and you can make a living at it. That's what cars yeah is all trick. about. Well, like I said, I, I, I was fortunate. I was born with a talent. That, that's three-quarters of the problem. <laughs> that's the easy part. You well, know? there's a lot of people born with talent, but they don't implement it and no. work hard. And you're right. A lot they don't of artists, have to drive. No. Well, no. And a lot of artists no. are kind of that way, kind of a loosey-goosey. That's what I told but, you. Yeah, they, these are my yeah. friends. They, got, they lose interest halfway through, yeah. and then they put it against the wall. Then they start another one. Yeah. Same thing happens. At the end of the year, I go to their homes. I go have a beer with them, and they go, I say, how come you got what are 12 paintings on the wall, and I got four and already sold? They, yeah. they, they don't get it. They don't have that. You know, I'm, I believe in persistence. You need to teach an online masterclass for artists on how to, how to, get, <laughs> how to get things done. Speaking of great things uh, and learning, is there a, a book you'd like to share? Maybe a book you've read? Do you have time for reading books? Or maybe listening. These days, you can listen to books. Yeah, I don't even do that. When, when, when I'm done, my eyes pat it, okay? So I, I, I do my email reading and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I've never really been into... Um, in, into novels or books or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't watch much TV either. You Good know, if you. I do it, it'll be a crazy show, like a shoot up show, or Clint Eastwood or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't, I don't really read a lot. I'll, I'll read if we're going to get into something technical with my art that I don't know about paint or something. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. I'll, I'll read crazy. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, no, I don't really do that, Mark. Nope. I understand. Okay, before I let you go today, Peter, I'm going to allow you to go on the ultimate drive, which means money's no object here. You can pick any vehicle. You can pick anybody to drive with, living or deceased. So this could be somebody from the past, and you can go anywhere you want. So if I could make this happen for you, what does the ultimate drive look like for Peter? You know, I don't know what the ultimate is. It a car or two? Any car. You no. can pick any vehicle in the world. If you want a tractor, I'll get you one of those. Maybe a Lamborghini yeah, I, tractor. I, I, 
<laughs> yeah, I'd buy, I'd, I'd do something like that. And I think, uh, let me see, it's either Jeff Gordon, my good friend, or Ray Everham. Now, Ray's the crazy one. He's the <laughs> wild driver. And I just saw Jeff three months ago. But Ray's been a good friend. I'd like, I'd like, because he won the Pikes Peak Hill Climb in his car a couple oh, of years gnarly, ago. Gnarly, gnarly drive, yeah. Yeah, he's crazy. And he, but he's good. He's mm-hmm. a real, he's an excellent mechanic. He's an excellent, you know, crew chief. He yeah. was tops. I'd, I'd, I'd like to go with Ray. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Me yeah. and Ray, I'm a little older than him, but uh, he's in his 60s. I'm in my 70s. But uh, him, or, him or Jeff, let Jeff drive. <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. Well, you've taken us on a fun ride. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of wisdom, a mantra, or a success quote for those listeners out there to give them a little inspiration at the end of the year here? I, I, first of all, you got you got to have drive. You got to have self motivation. And my number one is persistence. You got to keep going at it. I got a big sign up here that that has it all all on there. And you know, you really got to believe in yourself. Um, yeah. Pass or fail. You got to keep moving. You know, everybody gets kicked in the ass sooner or later. Yeah. Things don't go up straight up the ladder all the time. But I would say, uh, you know, persistence. Persistence. If you have the talent and you believe in yourself, just go for it. Ah, go for it. it. I took I took a chance when I was thirty five. There I had go. a pretty good job. You no know? kidding. Yeah, brave guy there. Well, we're all glad you did because you're creating some incredible things for us to enjoy. <laughs> How can people follow along with you and learn more about the artwork we've been talking about? And just go, again, Terry put it together, PeterMeyerArt.com. Easy. I'll put a link to that on Peter's show notes page for you listeners. Uh, if you want to get motivated for the new year, if you do the resolution thing, I always say every day is a New Year's resolution. Uh, you can go and check out Peter's art. If this doesn't inspire you, then uh, you need to check your pulse uh, because the work the work he's doing is great. Peter, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise. And thank you to your, uh, your buddy there in the shop for helping put this all together as well. Until you and I talk again, my friend, not only will I see you down the road, but have a very, very healthy, prosperous New Year. Happy New Year to you, buddy. I appreciate it, Mark. we got to meet one day. We there you will. go. Absolutely. <laughs> if, you're, if you're around the East Coast or near here, you give me a call. I am going by. to do that. To spend some time in your studio with you would be an absolute dream. So we're going to make that happen. I think happen. You'll, get a, you'll get a kick out of it. Cause no you're, kidding. You know, you got, you got gasoline in your blood. That's what Mitchell used to tell me. If you don't have gasoline in your blood, you're not going to be a good car designer. <laughs> I think I've got a little bit, for sure. Yeah, I know you do. This okay, well, great. thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you, you have a good Christmas. Thank you, buddy. Okay. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, The people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions. Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage. Geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. Here at Cars Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. 
Tech Force helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. Tech Force awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!